0: So the headline from the New York Times yesterday read this. For many U.S. families, politics has already gone from uncomfortable to toxic. And so already we're being told what we can expect from the upcoming election season. Polarization and division, strife, anger, doubling down and canceling out you would think that we don't have any choice in the matter, that we are following a pre-written script and that for no other reason we're following that than that's been what we're told we're going to do. But I have a a, a different and and decidedly less dark view of humanity than that. And I believe, as as I know many of you do, that we are not only capable of something different, we actually hunger and we desire for something different. We aren't satisfied with the level of discourse that we've experienced in recent periods of our history. We'd like better for ourselves and for our children. And many of us are already at work parenting our children to live into something different, something resembling kindness. So I have this pet theory that, That you come to know what you truly believe by what you intentionally teach your kids. And so while I might offer a snarky reply on Twitter to someone who's made a seemingly ignorant comment, right? How many have done that? We would actually correct our children for doing that. Truth be known, I am at my best self when I am giving learned, wise, experienced counsel to my kids. I actually like being the voice of, re- of reason to my kids, the voice of wisdom. If they were sitting here right now, they would all eye roll in front of you. So a couple of weeks ago, Clay assigned some of the, of the staff different fruits of the Spirit so that we could give brief devotionals at our staff retreat at Bethany Hills. And he gave me kindness, kindness. And I didn't tell him this until later, but I would have rather had any other fruit of the Spirit than kindness. Because it had been a long time since I'd felt like I'd been kind in the way the Bible talks about kindness. And and a lot of that has to do with where our journey, that our family has been on for the last three years, we're celebrating All Saints Day today. And, and, and my father, who was one of the most kind men I'd ever met in my life, began showing cognitive decline in 2019. And then our family's life began to change. So I began traveling regularly from West Tennessee to New Orleans to try to help them come up with a treatment plan so they could continue to live there in New Orleans by themselves. And this was also at a time when I was solo pastoring a church in West Tennessee that was very involved missionally in our community. And I don't know if you have ever gone through a season where you found your attention and focus having to narrow in on what was right in front of you, but you know that when you're in the middle of a crisis, one of the ways that you protect yourself is to put your blinders on. You push out all that extraneous noise that you can give your full attention to what needs to be done. And then when someone or something tries to pull your attention away, you are very quick and decisive at grabbing it back. And by quick and decisive, I know that that some who knew me in that season might even fill in the words direct or super intentional. But the word they would not have used was kind. Kind. And it wasn't that you wished anybody ill, you just didn't have the time or the energy to expend on being gracious. You needed to be focused and deliberate, or so you'd tell yourself, right? So kindness was not a category or a gift or a spiritual fruit that I would have thought much about in that season of our lives until until Susan would say things to me like, take a breath, Jay. Or, hey Jay, you need to spend a little more time with Jesus. That's what she would say. And when you're a minister, your wife says stuff to you like that. (laughs) And when she said it, I knew I was redlining. And maybe some of you can relate, whether it's a difficult election season, as some folks we know are testy and are edge, or, or it's a challenging family crisis, or just feelings of being incredibly overwhelmed, We go through times where we feel like we are handing away pieces of ourselves, of our joy, even of our witness to Christ, and we feel incomplete and fractured. And we know that deep inside somewhere, that is not our destiny in Christ, which is just kind of a churchy way of saying that I believe that God has more and better for us. So this morning, I want to talk about the fruit of the Holy Spirit that Paul calls kindness. And I want to talk about it from the standpoint of helping us to regain something that maybe we know we've lost, we feel it's lost, and we know about wholeness. We know that wholeness, becoming whole again, has something to do with getting that thing back. And so kindness is mentioned a lot in the Bible, but more often than not, it's referring to the combination of mercy and compassion and forgiveness and favor that God shows people, and especially when it's completely unexpected and undeserved. So when all the cards are stacked against, when the consequences of our choices should spell disaster, grace and favor and mercy are shown, God gives someone a fresh start a chance to begin again, God shows kindness over anger and judgment. And God's kindness is where our kindness begins. Out of a place where where we've been given another chance, sometimes in spite of ourselves, to get it right. And to speak specifically about how the early Christians talked about it, They believed this, they believed in earnest that our kindness to others grows out of an appreciation of the kindness and mercy that God has shown to us in Christ. So however you think that that Jesus offers salvation to people, the early church saw the ministry of Jesus as God's complete reset where people were free from the the things that held them in spiritual captivity. It was accessed by faith, where they were renewed in their minds and thinking, and they were restored to their rightful role as stewards and spiritual influencers of all things created. That was how the church saw itself. The world is out of whack. God has raised up a people in Christ to embody the spirit of Christ to set it right again. So here's how Paul explains it in his letter to the Colossians. He says this, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He says, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, he says, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And once again, this is how the earliest Christians would have heard that. We have been forgiven. The weight of separation from God no longer exists, at least from God's side of things. We can go now and be free. Which begs the question, right? What do people who have been given a fresh start, what do they do with that new life? So the Colossians passage tells us, we model what real poured out love for others looks like and in that love we show what it might look like for people to be unified in the things that really matter and together do the things that that Jesus did. Love people, heal people, speak life into people's lives. In other words, we find our God-empowered kindness toward others. And like God's kindness, our kindness calls out the very best in others. It's it's regarding the other as better than oneself, from Philippians chapter 2. So in his letter to the Philippians, Paul pushes this church to take the next step. So yes, this church in Philippi has the spirit. Yes, they get Jesus. Yes, they have joy. But Paul wants them to extend that thing which God has put on their heart to each other and to those in their community. He writes this, and you can hear the passion and pleading in his words. He says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement at all from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if you have any sharing of the spirit in common, if any tenderness and compassion, he says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, he says, value others above yourselves. He says, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others in your relationships with one another. He says, have the same mindset as was in Christ Jesus. And I love this, the passage, I often share is this one with couples in pre-marriage counseling as we frame marriage relationships in terms of two people calling out each other's best. And it also represented a major shift in my thinking about Susan's and mine own marriage when we first started out. You see, we'd, we'd moved to Jackson, Tennessee from Memphis, and we were planning a church and we found out that we were gonna have Neely and then completely unaware of what was happening, we began to experience all the things that a couple goes through when they don't do the necessary self-care, right? Rising tension, frustration with each other, digging in and doubling down. I actually had my worship leader, who's a close friend of mine, one Sunday morning tell me as I was going through my, my litany of, of self-pitying frustrations, right? He says, Who controls the temperature in your home? I was floored. I wanted to put all that responsibility on Susan. After all, she was there to support me. She was there to help make life easier for this very important work that I was called to do. And I wish that we could say that we have it completely right today. We don't, but we have some things right. I can honestly say that in 20 years of marriage, our roles of calling out God's best in each other are things that we have grown into. And so if I leave you with nothing else this morning um, as we meditate on living out the spiritual fruit of kindness, it's that, that kindness is a spiritual mindset that actively seeks to call out one's best and actively seeks to speak encouragement and blessing to another person. Here you go regardless of what you think about that person. And so when I think about this presence of Christ that's inside of me that I carry to work or in family or in relationships that I would like for people to see in me and experience through me, right, through my life, What is it that gets in the way? And for us and our family, and maybe you're the same, right? Is what gets in the way is the lack of what I call margin in my life. And margin is best thought of as the room that we leave ourselves so that we can respond to situations we find ourselves in with our best selves. So in both of my examples, kindness was sacrificed on the altar of busyness. So very important and worthwhile busyness to be sure, but essentially allowing, getting something done being more important than bringing and speaking blessing out of the life-changing work that God is doing inside of us. And so how do we cultivate the soil conditions of our heart so that what we bring when we're in community with others looks something like the healing presence of Jesus? And so as I was thinking about this this past week, I I was able to come up with four spiritual practices I'd like for you to meditate on this morning. The first is this, make room to be renewed. Make room to be renewed. Psalm 4610 says, be still and know that I am God. So in his book, Undistracted um, by Bob Goff, which we're reading in my connection class this morning, Sometimes we are so busy, this is what he says, sometimes we are so busy looking up and looking forward and trying to figure out the next move in our lives or looking backward at the places where we've been that we actually don't look down and figure out where we actually are. So let me encourage you this morning to give yourself some space throughout the week to do absolutely nothing. Just And this is going to be really hard for some of you. For me, it is, right? Just simply be. And so for me, this looks like getting up in the mornings, making that cup of coffee from the Nespresso machine, sitting with a journal and jotting down the things i like the day to be about. And I find when I ask God the question in that space, how can I bring your presence today? And then you're quiet and you listen you almost always hear an answer from God. And so the second spiritual practice is really um, some of the best advice that I've ever received. And it's this, pray until the joy comes. Pray until the joy comes. So a friend of mine who planted a fast-growing church in Memphis told the story of going to a a larger church in in Houston, Texas, where he knew the pastor of it. It's a stadium-sized church. And the, he heard the story from this pastor as they were talking about um, how do you find the spiritual nurture and, and how do you find yourself to get renewed, to be able to do the work of church planting. And so he knew that, 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 that church planting was hard and that prayer was gonna have to be an essential part of that heart work. And so he asked the question to this other pastor. He said, how long do you spend in the morning praying to God? And the pastor replied back, he said, I pray until the joy comes. So just think about how the conversation might go among church folk, right? About how the people of God can best influence our culture in every sphere in politics and economics and education if we prayed until the joy came. But more to the point, I want you to think about how much more people would see in us and experience in us the living presence of Christ as we left home each day with joy over anxiety and tension and fear, pray until the joy comes. And the third spiritual practice actually grounds us and I think what we're about as the people of God. And that is soak in the story, soak in the story. Psalm 1 says that meditating on God's Word is like a tree being planted next to a stream of water and having one's root systems nourished. And I found that I feel more connected to my purpose when I see that purpose as being lived out in God's larger story of of healing and redemption. So a couple of weeks ago, I had to drop Susan off at school at 6.45, and then I had a couple of hours to kill before I had a breakfast meeting that morning. And I went back to church and I began to read the Gospel of Mark. And I have to confess, it was like reading it for the first time. So what stood out to me, and I've said this in a, in a communion meditation that I did, what stood out was Mark's little introduction summary to what Jesus told the crowds he had come to do in Mark chapter one, and verse 15. Jesus said very simply, the time has come, the kingdom is near, repent and believe the good news. That's what Jesus says. And it hit me as I was reading this, that faith doesn't have to be difficult. It can be as simple as looking for God at work around us and then asking God to change our hearts so that we can become a part of that work. A simple insight from just soaking in the story, right? Which leads to the fourth and final spiritual practice. And this speaks to, as we've been talking about, having a cloud of witnesses around us this morning, the people who have gone before, but also the people now, even here today, who are surrounding us. Be strengthened in solidarity with others. There is no spiritual fruit of kindness without being in the company of other people. Community is where kindness is grown, it's where it's practiced, it's where it gets tested, but it also is what draws others looking for some hope from God so that they come to church and they experience just a little bit of that love and honor and compassion from someone who is here and they go away feeling that maybe, just maybe, the love of God that they've heard all about from a place like Widmont is real because of what they experienced in this place from one of us. And you never know what God is up to, but that might be the very moment in the kindness that we show that someone gets their fresh start. They receive their redo, they get to walk alongside them, we get to walk with them as God begins that new thing inside of their lives. And I can think of no greater joy than being able to be a part of someone experiencing love and hope and favor in a way that they have never experienced before. And the amazing thing to me is this, that every single person in this room has something inside of them that God is wanting to share with someone else who is broken and hurting and seeking the presence and healing of God. And sometimes it just takes for us to be still, to be quiet, to make room to hear God's voice and be confident that God wants to use me for His kingdom. Amen, everybody? Let's pray. Gracious God, we love you and we're so thankful for your presence here this morning and for that thin veil between between heaven and here that we've gotten to experience today um, that that knowledge that confidence of your grace and goodness in our lives God we are encouraged by being in the company of each other we are we realize we're not alone on our on our journey but we have others who are with us in mission others who are alongside us speaking encouragement and and calling out our best selves. And we thank you for those that you have called alongside us today, God. We pray as we, as we leave from this place, we also would be confident that you go with us, that your spirit empowers us to speak with boldness into the lives of the people around us, that we can with boldness carry the presence of Christ and in ways we don't know and often cannot see, you will bring healing to people's lives because of what you have done inside of us. And for that this morning, we offer you all the praise. We pray for more of that from you, God. Pour out your spirit on us so that we might be the hands and feet of Jesus, we pray. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, Amen.